Welcome to the Mastering Communications podcast. Unfortunately, there is some echo present in this episode. We hope you'll enjoy it nonetheless while we are working on echo-free episodes for the future. Hello and welcome back to the Mastering Communication podcast, where every episode I sit down with another interesting guest from the field of communication to share their knowledge and expertise. I'm your host, Dominique van Aalte, and today I'm here with Julia Kons, or Julie. Um, Julie works as a lecturer at both the Master and the Bachelor in International Communication and is currently working on getting her PhD as well. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Julie. Um, and to start, I want to give you a small challenge. Can you introduce yourself in one sentence? Yes. Um, I'm Julie, uh, a very open-minded, curious person, always up for a challenge. Very nice. You actually shared with us uh, in the introduction week that you're curious for a living. I really yeah. like that uh, sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's jump right in. Uh, you're currently working on your PhD. Um, what is that like? It's almost like having your own little business, except that it's not business. It's, uh, it's research. So okay. you have your own little project. No one tells you what to do. I mean, if it goes well. Um, at least that's a culture here at the Hansa and at the Ruch that no one tells you what to do. Everything is on you. Um, and yeah, you just, <laughs> yeah. you just, you pick a topic and then you try to find out as much as possible and try to contribute to society in some way. Yeah, but that sounds like quite a challenge to kind of figure out how that works as you go. Do you have guidance with that or is it really just self-guided? Well, you do have your supervisors. So I have Wim Alving, who's my daily supervising. He's from the Hansa. And then I have a promoter, it's called. It's basically a second supervisor from the Ruch. Um, that's Marcel Broersma. And they are there to give you guidance, especially uh, when it comes to your topic. Uh, in the best case, also, they're of emotional support. Yeah. So the reality is that Wim, I would see, yeah, uh, about every two to three weeks, uh, and then I have a meeting with both of them once a month, once every two months. But it is mostly self-guided. It's, it's you. And that's the challenge of doing a PhD. It's not like studying where you have someone who motivates you. But even there, not always, right? Yeah. So that is definitely the challenge in it. You're on your own. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And is there then some kind of timeline that you have to stick to? Or is that also really just um, determined by how you want to do that? both <laughs> uh, the thing is there's actually a very strict timeline uh, because you're only getting paid for four years uh, since I'm also teaching I'm I will get paid partly for five years so okay. but you should be done within four years now the reality is that I think I'm making this up but this is at least my personal experience 90% of PhDs do not make it within four years okay so and if you do want to make it there it's a really high pressure environment because you need to get published um, and those things take time yeah <laughs> and it's a whole industry in itself so yeah there is a timeline but it's up to you to decide if you make it how you want to make it yeah, exactly. So you mentioned that you also get to choose your own subject. Um, what are you doing your PhD about? My PhD is on resilience to disinformation. So from day one, already when I wrote the proposal, my question was, okay, 
how come that some people are so open to disinformation are so open um, are vulnerable to disinformation which makes them sound passive which they're not necessarily that's not mm-hmm. my view on it but I was just really interested in that those differences like how come some people um, are resilient to it and then how come some are more vulnerable to it and that's what I'm researching okay so really the difference in how people are affected by disinformation or how they take it in yes okay yeah that seems quite difficult to research yeah how do you do that it's actually very difficult to research <laughs> because it's a very multidisciplinary topic uh, those topics are usually also the most interesting ones mm. um, so I naively I would do it again but I naively was guided just by my own interest and I thought yeah this is going to be difficult and it turned out to be more difficult um yeah but uh well you you take the puzzle pieces that you find along the way so my topic is really has a lot of influences from psychology has a lot of influences from of course communication and journalism but also from political sciences even from more um, computer and tech sciences, because there's, of course, a technical aspect to yeah. disinformation as well when you count in bots and artificial, artificially intelligently uh, developed uh, deepfakes, things like that. Yeah, exactly. So um, there, there are all these different streams, and technically that shouldn't be a surprise because communication is never just about communication there's always those influences from sociology as well so it's not new it just makes it more complex and more interesting yeah exactly because you even have the the um, algorithms for example pushing people into extreme positions because of that that generates more clicks and those kinds of things yeah and echo chambers and things like that and if you want to find out what makes a person vulnerable yes they're online environment of course plays a role so how algorithms work and what kind of content they are shown plays an important role yeah and how do you say um people could use the information that you're gathering about this disinformation once you're done in some way well a (laughs) oh wait there's two things uh Mm. there's an academic contribution i try it's really hard um to balance having an academic contribution because that's really creating knowledge and um most people don't have time or even the skills to read a highly uh highly academic article um i try to um spread the message of because I mean in my last study I found out what kind of factors have been connected to resilience and vulnerability so far and then I use my position as a teacher but also as a researcher I go to conferences to kind of spread the word and I try to post on LinkedIn to really the the goal is uh, the ultimate goal of this PhD because I'm also at a unit uh, an applied science university is to increase resilience to disinformation Um, yeah so yeah that's how i tried to contribute was that the question yeah kind of um so in that sense you're you're working towards um gathering the information and maybe even tools for people to use so they uh, know how to deal with the disinformation yeah exactly yeah yeah okay that's very interesting actually yeah i hope so (laughs) so why why did you choose this subject out of everything well you have to start somewhere um and when i Um, prepared my proposal there were two things on my mind Uh, it was disinformation just because of everything so we're talking about this was in 
November, yeah, Oct- September, October, November 2019. That's when I started my proposal. And then in 2020, I, I got to start the PhD. Um, and in 2019, we had just seen uh, Brexit, um, the disinformation that was happening here. I mean, Trump was president, so there was just lots of disinformation was a hot topic. And uh, it just was something that was on my mind. Um, and then I and then AI was on my mind a lot because I use, I try to think about the future, what topics are will also be of relevance in the future. Now, I had no idea that disinformation would even become more relevant now with the war, sadly. Yeah. Um, but I was really looking for A, what interests me, what excites me, and then B, for what topic do I see potential for the future? And that's then how I chose it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and why did you choose to do a PhD at all, actually? Well, I, I said I'm curious for a living, right? Yeah. Um, which also means that uh, I, I love to learn um, and I love to have challenges. So I usually take on challenges and then at some point I bite off more than I can chew. I regret it. But in the end, <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it real here. Yeah. Um, in the end, you always learn by putting yourself out there. And um, I I had worked in a more corporate environment, I had worked in a consultancy, uh, and then I came into academia and I was a teacher for two years, and I really loved that, but I also knew that ultimately only that would bore me. (laughs) I mean, I love it, but I think if you do something too much, eventually you just, and I already felt that, and I'm in no way the most experienced or the best teacher, but I already felt, okay, within the next five years, I'm going to be very competent, and the window for learning more will become more limited and um, the PhD is something I thought of okay and I talked to a lot of PhDs also because you're in a, you're already in that environment right and I said you know what are the skills that you need and they said well you need discipline um, you need um, stamina you need to keep going um, you need to be able to work alone uh, and you need good research skills and good writing skills and I only had two out of these five. <laughs> so I said, I'm definitely going to do it. Because yeah. I, I don't know I don't know anything about this field. Um, and I just want to take on that challenge. Yeah, almost comparable to how I'm doing this podcast. Like, I don't know how to do this, but we'll just figure it out as we go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's really just about the challenge for you in that sense and, and keeping yourself engaged. Yeah, I just want to keep learning and growing. It's, it sounds so corny, but that's that's really it. That's kind of what drives me. Yeah, exactly. So how did you end up in uh, the field of communication then? Um, because you mentioned something about uh, working in the corporate world and those kinds of things. Um, I'm kind of curious about your journey to end up here. Yeah, it wasn't actually very uh, straightforward uh, already in school. So I've always been um, a student or a person that's very interested in a lot of different things. So I think... I could have easily ended up somewhere completely different in a different field. Um, But it was actually serendipity also because I just, right before I graduated school, high school, I just met someone who was studying media and communications in in their bachelor. And she told me how awesome it is. And then, and then, but you needed a really high grade to get in. And until this point, I had not studied at all. And then I was like, okay, I want to get in there. And so basically it was because I met this girl and there are 
my strengths are found in this field. I am a communicator. I'm very open. Um, so I'm a good writer. I'm a good presenter. So it was kind of naturally, it was easier to be good. I could have studied physics, but that would have been harder for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just kept going into, and once I had studied in my bachelor, I studied communication. I, I'd been abroad and I was just, it was like a fix, you know. Yeah. I had tasted what it's like and then I just wanted more. And then I found the MIG. Yeah. Um, and after I graduated, I was again lost because I had so many interests. Um, and so I just looked at, okay, what what is out there? And um, I, I my thesis was about employer branding. Um, and this consultancy actually found me. So I did my my thesis with one company, a B2B company about employer branding. And there was this consultancy and they had heard about me. And so they approached me and they were a branding consultancy. So oh. it was a mix of I've always been interested in that, but also sometimes life just happens. Yeah. And that's how that came to be. Okay. So sometimes someone just crosses your path in the right time and then yeah exactly yeah. life just, just takes you in a, in a certain direction yeah and I'm yeah. very open to that and that's also how the PhD happened I thought yeah I, I want to do this and I was always open for it but I also said well if this is not happening something else is going to happen yeah exactly so how do you actually combine uh, the teaching and being a PhD candidate because if I look at your LinkedIn there's a lot on there at the moment that you're doing and working on yeah uh, it is a lot um, and it takes You need to set your boundaries a lot um, with others, but also with yourself. I'm very, very fortunate because the program, the MIG program, all of my colleagues are very understanding um, because I'm only available one day a week, mm. which also means that all the meetings need to be set yeah. on that date. And uh, you know how it is. Work always comes up. And I used to be very involved in the program and now I'm much more detached. Um, so, so that was a change, but um, it's mostly just for yourself being okay with the fact that you won't be able to excel at any point anymore because it's just too much. Um, so you, you do your best, um, but it's, it is a mental game, to be honest. Yeah, kind of a puzzle to figure out what you really need to spend your time on and what you want to spend your time on and how that fits together. Yeah, exactly. And you, I, I try to prioritize almost on a daily basis because also just for I'm competing with full-time PhD PhDs who have a research background. I'm not a full-time PhD. I don't have a research background. So there's always more work and more things to be learned than I actually have time for. And then with students, you know, how like little podcasts I do, always, there's always <laughs> something that comes up and yeah. you want to be there for your students as well. You want to show up and inspire in some kind of way. So um, yeah, it's just finding that balance. And I don't always succeed in that. I'm sometimes just extremely overworked. <laughs> That's yeah. just also part of what it is. Yeah, but then it's also important about taking the time for yourself when you actually need it in that sense. Yeah. Because I have to say I relate to a certain degree because I have two jobs next to my master's yeah. and just the moments that you sometimes need to take a breath yeah. are then the most important. So I can I can really relate to what you're saying, but it, I can also imagine that it must be um, kind of a challenge to then also not start to compare yourself to the other PhD uh, yeah. candidates, for example. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> just just doesn't get you anywhere. You just give your best. Yeah. Yeah, because what I really like about you as a teacher is that you're always very positive and, and uh, like optimistic in a sense. And that's very motivating for us to see as well. Oh, that yeah. makes me very happy. Um, so what is actually uh, an, a moment or an experience that you remember uh, that you realized how important communication was to you? 
I think pretty early on because I uh, grew up almost in between countries. Uh, my I have a Turkish part of the family. Now they don't live there anymore due to the political situation. But up until two or three years ago, um, half of my family lived in Turkey. Um, and then um, I lived in Germany. I grew up here. Uh, but then my dad married a Swedish woman. So I was basically always traveling. And uh, there I realized a just the language like if you know more languages that's communication right how important it is it's everything um and then how much communication happens i always realized especially between turkey and germany there are quite big cultural differences and just even just the mimics of things and i don't think i ever uh, did it on purpose but i would always adapt wherever i go um and i Only when I then came into this master and, you know, you have a lot of reflective work that yeah. you're doing. And at some point, everyone's kind of over it. I was definitely. But mm -hmm. then you see the value of it um, and then you reflect. And then I started reflecting and I was like, wow, this taught me so much. Yeah. And that's when, when I saw the value for the first time. Yeah. But you had kind of been experiencing it before, yeah. that, but not realizing how much that meant. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So you actually studied uh, at the Master in International Communication or the MIC as well yes. then? Yeah. 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 How did you uh, enjoy that? Because how, I'm imagining that was a few years ago then. Yeah. Yeah. I started in 2015. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I was quite young. I think at that point I was the youngest um, student to have started that master. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't even on purpose. I, I, I never... I've never been that student that was always like, go, 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 and quick, quick, quick. It just happened that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I came into the MIC and it was, I loved it. I just, I just, it was everything, but it was also so intense. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was so intense. I was just, I mean, I was also just still such a baby, but I was just stressed out the whole time. I couldn't handle I mean, now I t that's why I relate so much to my students still when I see them now at the beginning and, you know, they're like, oh, there's so much reading to do and there's so much. No, but you just got to do it. Like, yeah. it just looks a lot and it's not like it's nothing. Let's not downplay this. It is mm -hmm. a lot of work, but it's all doable. It's the stressing out about it that's taking the most energy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's also kind of uh, uh, take it as it comes in that sense. 100%. Yeah. 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 So how do you look back on your time at the MIC, uh, uh, how that shaped you or helped you uh, to become the person you are today? I think actually, and I'm not saying this because I'm working here, but it's the reason that I came back. This program helped me a lot to develop professionally, yes, but equally, I would even say 50-50%, it helped me to develop personally um, because of this this intercultural aspect that does a lot with you once you learn um, and once you develop this skill you will apply it or at least I did apply it to every part of my life um, and the people that you meet in the master at least that's how I felt I felt like these are my people I, yeah. I found my people they're like-minded um, and I'm still But my best friends are from the MIG. I mean, I have other best friends that luckily from younger days, but um, Jess, like she's my best friend. I studied with her. So, 
So yeah. that that there's a big personal aspect, also the skill of reflection. I don't know about you, but it's not something I learned in German school. It was all about competing, being the best. I'm from the south of Germany, so that was really it was it was a high pressure environment. Also, the school I was in, it was very you know they wanted to be very elite. So all I ever knew was that, and then taking a step back and learning how to reflect. I feel like it's it, again, it's very corny, but it did make a better person out of me. Yeah. Because then you also realize why you communicate or behave in the way that you do. And yeah. How and how that affects people or situations. Yeah. And only then can you change it. Only once you realize. Yeah, exactly. So then um, we also have the little bit between the Mick and the Mick in that sense. Uh, the working in the communication field. How was that for you? Um, well, to be honest, uh, it was a bit of a shock because I returned to Germany. So I had this reverse culture shock. Um, and... I felt like to, I didn't fit in anymore um, because once you have worked in exactly the way you want to work and for me that was international and in the MIG and also now in my job and also when I was a teacher I always had so much freedom. Yeah, I always had managers that said you do, we trust you and that's how I personally operate best and then being back in an environment where you have to be at the office and you know you have to work a certain way, it didn't go well with me because I had experienced something that um, matched better. But on the other hand, professionally, I learned a lot. Um, yeah. off, but also the MIC is already very close to practice. So I didn't feel like there was a big gap between the professions that I had and, and what I had learned because it's an applied university. So we try to really convey and also it was like that that that's what I think my value was as such a young student and how I still got into these companies is because they saw what wait we can put her straight to work she she knows more than theory she's already done projects and um yeah I think that helped a lot yeah it's definitely a very valuable skill that we learn here yeah 100 percent I'm so, very biased of course <laughs> So did you mostly uh, switch back to the MIC because of the way people work? Or was it also about the work itself? Both. Um, I'm a very idealistic person and I want my work to contribute to society. And um, you can contribute in any job. Um, but for myself, I thought, okay, how can I contribute with my skill set, with mm -hmm. what I'm good at? And that was education, because I think really when you work in education, you have the chance to change people's lives for the better. I think education is one of the key things that can turn a, a person's life around or make it better. And that's why I, I came back, because I had always loved the make and I was also still in touch with uh, with my teachers, which is also I don't I didn't have that in my bachelor. Um, but and I and I really liked also Groningen and that environment, the university environment. And because I really saw use in that profession for me. Yeah. So what's your favorite uh, memory from the MIG then? Kind of curious about that because you have a lot of them, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. So you mean from my student days then? or Either. Uh, like I'm, I'm kind of generally interested because I think you have the most wide experience with the MIG in that sense. You were both a student and now you're also on the other side. Yeah. Well, I think... On a, on a personal level, um, I just had loved this, you know, as a class, we were a very small class. We just, with our teachers together, we grew into a family. Um, and that was so beautiful because we were all so different and from different backgrounds, uh, different countries also. 
and we all grew so close and that was very special to me um i really we were all crying when we left um and the teachers as well really yeah so so on a personal level that was nice and um on a professional level um, I got to work with the World Bank um, and in Italy, um, and I got to work um, for the first time with a professional client here, and that was very empowering. You know, you're a yeah. student, you, you think uh, you always think you don't know what you're doing, but then you realize, hey, I actually do know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so that was very empowering. I like that. Yeah, that must be a really cool feeling. Yeah, looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah. So we're actually uh, getting to the end of the episode already. Um, went very fast. Uh, so to end, I would like to ask you what your favorite country is to travel to. That's an easy one. It's Mexico. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I love Mexico. It's a very beautiful, diverse, huge country. Yeah. You go very often or? I went three times now. I once stayed for four months and then I came back for three weeks only because I started working. Yeah. Um, I, I learned Spanish there and I'm... It's, I just always want to go back and I'm not usually that person to keep going back to one place. So Mexico yeah. has a special place in my heart. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, then I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to talk with me today and sharing your experiences. It was very insightful. Um, and I think it uh, was a very nice story to hear about how people um, kind of flow through life sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything you would still like to say or to add. No, I think uh, this was lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, too. Um, and I'll see you later today in class. <laughs> Thank you for listening. The podcast Mastering Communication is brought to you by the Master's Program in International Communication of the Hanse University of Applied Sciences in Groningen. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you in the next one.